This is Marissa Broderon from Athens, Georgia, and I never listen to Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 443 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore. And I'm joined today by the lovely and terrified of raccoons, Brittany Page, everybody. So this was really terrifying because... I just said terrified of raccoons. No, it was very terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying anytime a raccoon is involved, but when you can't (laughs) see it, but you can hear it. You didn't That's worse. Listen. That's worse. Excuse you, no, me. No, no, no. no. Excuse we're go- me. No, we're going here. You act like you're so hypervigilant and always aware. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say, and I'm already pissed. <laughs> it's Proceed what get- with the lies, sir. No, no what Proceed. I'm getting ready- Totally true. Yep, lies. That there was crackling, and yep. I heard something. I heard the crackling. You did not. Are you kidding then me right you, now? Then why were you not uh, alarmed? I was alarmed. I started backing away. I was even feeling things that weren't happening. I was so hypervigilant. Listen, what you're witnessing here, ladies and gentlemen, is truly a fake gaslighting. news. Gaslighting. Fake news. <laughs> gaslighting on you, your part. This is You're bullshit. gaslighting me. You can't drag out gaslighting every time you're lying about something. <laughs> you know what? Just stop. Okay. So what happened No, what was, happened was. Oh, okay. You filmed it? No, I didn't. So no. you weren't even there. I was Once there. Once you learned of what was going on, you weren't part of the situation. But go ahead and explain the situation, a part of which you were not. Okay. So we pulled into the driveway and we parked and we got out of the car and immediately I heard branches being broken Rus- just in a violent way. Okay. Goddamn. Russell. <laughs> there were rustling in the trees. Yeah, this raccoon was immediately fantasizing about how now, it was going now to Now <laughs> you're you're inside the raccoon's head. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly how they think. I learned this in school. So, uh <laughs> did my thesis on it. Brittany this. Page's part-time job is the raccoon whisperer. Yeah. She knows. So, oddly, I also felt like uh air, like the air got colder. Yeah, this is such <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Anyway, Would you okay. just tell the story. Yeah, so I heard I heard the raccoon and we figured like it was like it's six cents over here. We figured it was either the raccoon, a raccoon, or a possum or some other or, or a cat. Yeah, or a house cat. Possibly, although no. Something violent and dangerous. <laughs> and so we, we stood there kind of listening and trying to figure out where it was, and then you saw the branches moving and you started chasing after the violent animal to identify what it was. I didn't chase after I went toward to figure it out. And once I once I uh, determined that it most certainly was a raccoon, I broke out the old iPhone mm-hmm. and uh, made cinematic magic. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> well, which, what's interesting is it wasn't that afraid of you no. because you were following it as it walked along the top of the fence it in also, between these trees. It also wasn't aggressive, like hissing or snarling. I, I figured because I was I was up in its grill. Yeah, you it were was pretty gonna, close to it. Then it was going to get pissed off and it didn't at all. Yeah. We'll, we'll put the video. We'll share it from my Facebook page to the I Doubt It page. Yeah, because you, you really need to see it. I mean, your life is incomplete without this video of the raccoon. <laughs> Says the person who is simply obsessed with raccoons. I'm not obsessed and with raccoons. And the danger that they, that they bring with them. I just think it's important to highlight the danger that exists so that people can proceed with caution when in the presence of a raccoon. Because there are very large raccoons here. People might think oh, raccoons only exist in the woods or something. No, they're constantly running around Southern California trying to eat everyone's food out of the trash. That's what they do. So they're a danger to food, not humans. No, of course they're a danger to humans. At any moment, they could claw your face. Have you seen their claws? <laughs> Have you seen them? I have seen them, yes. Well, there you go. You act like the, like it's fucking uh, uh, Leo DiCaprio in The Revenant, that it's... <laughs> It's like a grizzly bear attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> I was very afraid for your safety. I was trying to plan what my plan would be once he lunged like how, right at your face. How you were going to get me back into the car to take me to the emergency room. No, how I was just going to go inside and say, uh-oh, he'll probably figure that out. <laughs> You're just, a Marine. You can get it figured out, right? Just leave me for dead. Also, it was a small raccoon. It wasn't that big. So I, yeah. thought, I thought you could probably yeah, handle it. Yeah, pretty small. Well, the thing is, is that I think what it is, is is the the city, the city raccoons. Yeah. They, uh, they eat, you know, a high fat in and out diet or whatever, <laughs> leftovers and shit. So yeah. they get a little on the... Pudgy. They're very American. Mm-hmm. Very overweight. Mm-hmm. Where your your wildling raccoons, uh, you know, they're lean and fit, mm-hmm. not slothful, hmm. like the the city dwellers. Interesting. It's a good theory. It's a really good theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, raccoons! Well, welcome to the show, everybody. We hope you have not encountered a raccoon today, or if you have, it was cute and cuddly and did not harm you. I thought that didn't exist. See, it, it your doesn't, story's just but, falling apart. Well, that's true. That tends to happen. It's Friday. It is Friday. Don't and, play that. And it's been a, I don't have it on the board good. anymore. Thanks to everyone, <laughs> their scorn and their hatred toward me. <laughs> so let's let's get moving with the show here. We got a lot of, of listener communication. We're about a day late on the show and a uh, lot going on. We put out um, <laughs> two great bonus episodes that I would encourage everybody to go out there and listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marissa Baradaran and also Jim Robinalt. Yep. Uh, two stellar guests with with just fantastic um, expertises, mm-hmm. or just would it be singular? I think it's just expertise with fantastic expertise, individualistic, mm-hmm. yeah, expertise. So mm-hmm. go, go check those out. Th- those are great. And um, if you have questions for them or you want to show them love, follow them on Twitter. Tweet at them. Tell them you heard the the, the interviews and that uh, you enjoyed it. That would be uh, yeah, kind of good for us too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But before we move on, let's let's get to some of this listener communication. Um, first, about the death and funeral of John McCain and some of the happenings surrounding 
that this week. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Kelly from New England. I've been a few episodes behind, and I'm, by the way, loving the interviews, but uh, on your Aretha, uh, Aretha's family has put out that she never actually worked for Donald Trump. She did perform at Trump venues, but she never was actually employed by Mr. Trump. That was a lie. What a shock. Oh, my God. Uh, other things. <laughs> John McCain, God rest his soul, uh, American war hero, absolutely. But one of the important things I think a lot of people seem to be skipping in his uh, heart-wrenching, beautiful farewell address to American people was that he rebuked blood and soil, and that was a very clear rebuke of Trumpism and Trump's kind of winking and nodding at white supremacy, and I really appreciate that he did that, and I'm loving that, that, I'm loving that he said that, and I'm hoping that more people will highlight that this is not tr- true conservatism. And, oh, um, I'm wondering what you guys think about Sarah Palin not being invited to the funeral and what that also says about kind of her alliance with Trumpism or your opinions would be great. Love the show. And, of course, Brittany is the best part. Love the show. Brittany is the best part. Bye. Awesome. Thank you, Kelly. Yes. Uh, also, well, at first, first, how dare you be behind? <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she said she's loving the interviews, so that's good. We appreciate that, right? Nothing makes me, nothing takes away the sting of being behind on the episode. I'm way behind, yeah. Okay. No good. Yeah, so I think it is important (laughs) to highlight that and through all of the anger that you see from um, people who identify as liberal, there are some positives to recognize there. And I think it is important that he he did talk about blood and soil, how, um, how that should not be a part of the value system it is not a part of the value system of america it is inconsistent with uh, american values and uh sarah palin not being invited to the funeral apparently they don't get along (laughs) yeah well she wasn't the only one Mm -hmm. schmidt and weaver both of them who were long time uh, strategists and senior aides to john mccain were not invited to the Mm -hmm. funeral and in in either DC or in Arizona, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't venture a guess. But I think that both or all three of those individuals, Weaver, Schmidt, and Sarah Palin, all kind of represent um, a down moment, a down period in um, John McCain's life that he's maybe not so proud of. Uh, he he has he has consistently defended Sarah Palin and not been snarky or yeah oh I mean he wrote in his book this last book that he he really regrets not picking uh, Joe Lieberman the Democrat from Connecticut to be his running mate and but that's as far as he's gone to criticizing Sarah Palin yeah when you say defended I'm not sure that you mean like defend her from. The negative comments that people make about her. You're right. I'm I just I, maybe I'm he doesn't. A maybe he a doesn't contribute to piling on. Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's defending. He's just not. Uh, he's not actively shitting on her. Yeah, which he would be fully within his rights to do mm-hmm. because, as many have pointed out, we briefly talked about it last episode. She definitely did kind of usher in. This new wave of anti-intellectualism within politics, kind of a new flavor of the uninformed. I talk a lot about it on the show that what is really, I think, dangerous about Donald Trump and his followers is that he has empowered 
a new generation of know-nothings who feel like they know. And there's really nothing more dangerous than somebody who thinks they know a shit ton about something who don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Again, Dunning-Kruger <laughs> in full effect. Yeah, yes. No Trump, baby! <laughs> so yeah, that's what I... That, that's where I am with the Serapion. I mean, I'm glad... You know, I'm I'm a little bit more snarky and vindictive, so it it, it gives me a little bit of a warm fuzzy that she wasn't in that she was boxed out of that event. But yeah, but even so, she's made comments saying that he surrounded himself yeah. with terrible people, and she's the one who goes after him and criticizes yeah. him. And I think that that's something we also see that's rare and something that distinguishes John McCain from Donald Trump, where he's not hitting back, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, Donald Trump, he hits back. Uh, yeah. No, because he doesn't need to like play those petty games, I guess. Uh, and I wish we were in a place where we had uh, someone like that in office. We don't, though. Yeah, we don't. We definitely don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks, Kelly. Uh, get caught up or don't call back. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's another element to this John McCain thing. And th this next call kind of deals with that. And that is the fact of his family and what they're going through right now. And what someone who was taken away, look, he, he was, John McCain was an old man. I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, well, he was 81 or 83 or however old he was. So, you know, he was his time. But John McCain's mom is still alive. John McCain's mom's like 106 years old or something. So I think that he was slated for a lot more years. The fact that his mother is still with us. And that is another element that people are missing here, that there is a family that is hurting. And that's what this next call is about. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Jesse. It's Mandy from Indy. And I just finished listening to your portion of the show on the last episode about John McCain and the comments that were left. Um, and all I have to say is that I hope that the people that left those comments never have to experience the unimaginable hell that it is losing a parent to cancer. Um, I lost my mom last April to pancreatic cancer, and it was the hardest experience of my life. Um, and I can't help but think about how young his children are, especially his youngest is only 27. She's three years younger than me. That is a lot of time to miss her dad. Um, I'm 30 and I have 50 to 60 years to miss my mom. So all of those people who are able to put it in this tiny box and make it so black and white, I hope they never have to experience excruciating moments that, uh, that people who have lost loved ones to cancer have had to experience. And I hope that they find their, their empathy before they find their tragedy because you don't want to experience it. So obviously I'm like super emotional. Um, thank you guys for letting me vent. Love you both. Well, thank you, Mandy, for calling and sharing. I think that's really powerful and really puts things in perspective, hopefully for people who are being, um, very critical online also to kind of take a step back and and think about who 
might be reading those comments and how it might be hitting them too. Yeah. Um, so this reminds me of something that you say, um, Jesse, something that you've come around on, which is like um, tweeting celebrities and things like that, like mean antagonistic things. Yeah. And I know it's different with elected officials because they have control over policy and those policies that they support or don't support have real ramifications and affect people's lives in very real ways. Mm -hmm. So they deserve criticism. They deserve pushback. Um, They deserve to hear from the people that they represent for sure. But sometimes the criticism that the people in office or their family members receive can be a little extreme. And on the very personal side, you had this recent thing where someone photoshopped a gun into a picture of Meghan McCain crying on John McCain's casket. And it had been reported on Twitter 100 times and it was up all day and then it was removed. And this is... I didn't... I hadn't heard this. And this is... It said like, America, this one's for you or something. And... I mean, I don't agree with Meghan McCain on a lot. I don't enjoy her when I watch her on The View. She's someone that I dislike a lot. She's, um, she rubs me the wrong way a lot, but I, I am filled with, with empathy for her right now. Right. And just kind of like, is that necessary? Yeah. Is that the human thing to do? Is that compassionate? (laughs) Is that rising above and, and being better? Um, than you perceive the other side to be. I don't. I don't know. It just kind of. There can be a lot of hate out yeah, there for sure. that, that I think is is problematic. And obviously, I mean, look at how it's affecting Mandy. Seeing the the criticism and people not recognizing this side of it, um, and how it can actually be a very personal thing for the family. How it is a very personal thing for the family to lose the person that they love. Well, I think a lot of people they look at these larger than life figures, whether they be. Uh, celebrities or, you know, just public figures in general. And they look at them as though they're bigger than life, larger than life, that they they are um, impervious because of some supernatural thing to criticism. Yeah. And not just criticism, but sometimes vile abuse. Right. Um, I think I'm uniquely suited to be able to withstand some of it, but there are days where some of the shit gets to me and I I'm just some idiot with a podcast and a YouTube channel. I'm not John McCain and his family who, who because of Twitter, you can direct your vitriol Mm -hmm. right to someone's phone. Mm -hmm. It's not like, well, I just choose not to read those YouTube comments. Yeah. (laughs) It's, Here's a, a text message with, for you. Yeah, with a Twitter app mm-hmm. or an email, you can send it right to them. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's mm-hmm. unfortunate that people don't think past their own feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes them feel good in the moment to do so. And and think about the fact that, yeah, Megan McCain, she might be uh, a pain in the ass when you watch her on The View. She might sit there with her arms folded, a harumph, and... And have an attitude and be smug or snarky or whatever. But her father just died. What is very likely a painful and terrible degenerating death. At home with the family there at his bedside watching this happen. Um, she needs time 
to heal. She needs space. She's not such... Just because she gets on my nerves doesn't mean that she should not be, and gets on your nerves maybe, doesn't mean she should not be granted the space and the time to grieve and to heal. Yeah, and I think that there, there's also... We need more nuance here, right? It isn't just this person's a good person, this person's a bad person. And John McCain was someone who had the rare ability, I think, to recognize and communicate openly about his flaws and the mistakes that he has made. Yeah. And that's rare in a person. I mean, he wrote about it even in his last words about how flawed he was Mm -hmm. as a human being. And we're all flawed. We've all done stupid things. We've all done bad things. We've treated people in ways that we shouldn't. That That's the case for all of us. And we've said things we shouldn't, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we're it, not judged by those moments in totality of our lives. No. Or, or we should not be. Yeah, we've, well, I don't want to be. <laughs> I certainly don't. Yeah, so um, I, I think that's an important consideration, too. Yeah. Uh, just be be better. Be genuine. And like I said, I don't think their audience necessarily takes part in this, but um, there was some vile shit on my Facebook page related to the, my John McCain thing that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, people saying that I wish the North Vietnamese would have murdered him in the 60s and just like not helpful, mm-hmm. n- not productive. That's that is only hate. Yeah, I think more people would benefit from like a personal journal. That they could journal in and share their feelings. You know what it makes me think about is how I have been in the past. Like, oh, when Bat Robertson dies, I might have gone a little crazy. Mm -hmm. Because I think he's a bad person who who is bad for America and bad for the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's him having loved ones that is going to give me pause. This whole thing with John McCain and how this went down is making me reevaluate my future behavior. Mm-hmm. What a cuck. What's <laughs> <laughs> really? it in a new perspective? <laughs> I am a cuck, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. I have nothing. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, I Man- really ruined a Mandy, good moment. <laughs> Mandy, thank you for the call. We appreciate. Uh, listen, we we there are moments uh, on the show that that really mean something, and when someone. Um, shares something so personal, it's a big deal. Yeah, for so, sure. So thank you. I mean, mm-hmm. we had Artemis last week, mm-hmm. and um, that is that's just it's a beautiful moment, and we feel honored, and I hope the audience does as well for you to share something so personal with so many people. Yes, strangers. For sure. I mean, the community of the show. Um, I look at it more like a family, more like a community, but. Um, we, we we're we're there for you. We feel for you and your loss. Thanks for thanks for sharing. Speaking of Artemis, I think we have an email. Yeah, so this is from Russo. Hello, Jesse and Brittany. Hope you're both doing well. Just finished episode 442 and was deeply touched by Artemis's story. Her words parallel those in a letter left by my best friend, who unfortunately is no longer with us. I want Artemis to know you are not at fault. The weight of that cross is not yours to bear and certainly not alone. Artemis, I'd like to reach out to you and listen to you, but most of all, offer the loving support I cannot give to my beloved departed friend. Sincerely, Russo. And then they gave their email and uh, we... We could be the middleman there. Yeah. So Artemis, if you'd like to 
to be in contact here, just email us and we'll we'll reply with uh, Russo's email address. So we'll th- that's a great way to to facilitate that. Uh, I, this is beautiful. I mean, it's it's similar to the time when Heather from Arkansas wrote in about her in-laws and being on a trip with her in-laws and people. There was an outpouring of support and understanding and and um, ways, you know, methods to get through it and you know ways to think about it and it's. Um, it's it's appreciated. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, Artemis uh, wrote in um, with a story of um, being a victim of abuse of the Catholic Church, and it was uh, very touching. And I, I mean, I can't I can't conceive of being in that situation. But it, it's it's good to have the, the the wide vast experience of our audience and the. The, the what I really I, I measure is as deep empathy within the people who listen to the show to, you know, reach out and try to help out um, strangers. Yeah, it's great. It is a beautiful thing. So in addition to the, the email, we also have a voicemail on the same topic dealing directly with this and uh, Artemis's uh, story. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. This is Steven from Central California. I just finished listening to episode 442 and Artemis' letter really got to me. Um, I, too, am a victim of the Catholic Church. Um, I won't go into detail about my story, but I'm, I'm a victim, too. And the more and more stuff that comes out and the more and more I learn about the untold numbers of kids that have been victims throughout the decades, the only thing that keeps coming to my mind is something that Former Governor Jesse Ventura said a long time ago, I think he was on Bill Maher at the time, he said something about if these priests are committing felonies and the Catholic Church is covering it up for them, how the fuck can we not charge them with RICO? Or I understand that RICO is more geared towards mobsters and shit like that, but how can we not charge the entire Catholic Church as an organization for covering up these crimes and just take them all down in one fell swoop. To me, obviously, that would be, for people like me who have been through this, who have experienced this pain, that would be just heaven on earth to see all of them just taken down in one fell swoop. But I know that's probably unrealistic, but that's the only thing that keeps coming to my mind, is until some of these sons of bitches start seeing prison time, This will continue to happen until we hold the church at its highest levels responsible for what has been going on for the last few, last untold number of decades. Nothing will change. So, yeah, I just wanted to share my two piece and send love from California out to Artemis. I hope you're doing well. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, that was a a great call. And I. It's it's uh, wildly frustrating, and every day, every day is a new news story about more coming out. I mean, it's it's just it's terrible. And as far as his question about Rico goes, um, the Catholic Church is protected, and Jesse, you made this point that it's its own country. That's right. Um, but also there's this weird thing around talking about religious organizations where it's, it's like not okay to criticize the Catholic church, that there still needs to be some semblance of respect that the church is owed 
And I'm sure that Stephen has encountered this. Um, I'm sure other people have encountered this that leave the church, that it's you you get silenced if you right. make those criticisms, that people say, why are you being so hateful? Or a bigot. Yeah. Because and, it's a religion. Right. When, from my perspective, I'm wondering why more people aren't talking about this because children are being victimized, and I don't care where it's happening. It's, yeah. it's happening. And not in one-off situations. Thousands and thousands of children are being raped and victimized and then that rape and victimization is being systematically covered up and in many cases thousands of cases future victimization and rapes are being facilitated by shuffling these vic- these abusers to other parishes and different roles and different jobs where they're not known to be who they are now as far as the 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 conviction thing uh, Vatican City is like a, a monarchy. It's considered, it's, I mean, it, it is, it's its own country. They have ambassadors like we've been talking about with this Vigano guy. Um, th- they, it's one of the reasons they're able to, like when a guy gets in trouble, like uh, Cardinal Law, they just bring him on back to the Vatican and that's where he lives out the rest of his life in country. So it'd be like, Bringing, you know, uh, organized crime, um, racketeering uh, charges, RICO charges against Ecuador for whatever, or Libya, or, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Um, Unfortunately, because they have been granted stateship, statehood, uh, we're in a a weird spot. It's going to take more of uh, people walking away. And leaving the church in droves and leaving them financially destitute to take away their power. Um, And look, it's long overdue. That time is long, long overdue. And I think that it's going to be, that process is going to be helped by men and women like Josh Shapiro, the attorney general of Pennsylvania, who recently said that um, either they had evidence, what, what, what did he say? They either have evidence that the Pope did it or e- evidence that the Vatican in general knew mm-hmm. about the abuses that happened in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so he said his office has evidence the Vatican knew about the cover-up of clergy abuse in the Catholic Church, but said he couldn't verify whether Pope Francis had direct knowledge of the crimes. Which brings us back, and this is something I want to talk about, to the, the Vigano this ambassador to the United States from the Vatican, who's written a letter um, calling out, saying, accusing the Pope of knowing. And I said, I said last time on the show that why would he lie? And then some people have pushed back and said, well, he's a faction of the, of the conservative movement within the Catholic Church who doesn't like this new kind of hippy-dippy Pope. Mm-hmm. You know, because this Pope Francis is considered kind of a liberal. Mm-hmm. amongst these these old dinosaur type catholics who are archbishops and and cardinals and i would say this is is he going to lie outright lie you're talking about the pennsylvania Vigano. attorney general no vigano oh. is vigano going to outright lie about the pope mm. the head of the church the vicar of christ because he doesn't agree with him on certain social issues and also let's not get out of hand it's still the Pope of the Catholic Church. He's not, you know, he's not fucking Bernie Sanders over here, everybody. 
So I and then also there's there's being some charges leveled against Vigano that he also knows and he also acted to cover up. And again, two things can be true simultaneously. The charges he's making toward the Pope could be very well true. I believe they are true. And he could be a dick face, a monster who also covered up abuses because this this cover up of abuse is so systemic within the higher echelon of the Catholic Church that why isn't it reasonable that many, many, many men took part? So I don't want to take you off of your um, warpath, but I want to go back to Pope Francis uh, being a liberal and uh, <laughs> not a liberal. The Vatican rolled back a recommendation by Pope Francis this week where he said that parents should seek psychiatric help for children who show um, homosexual tendencies. Oh, yeah. Super liberal. What a wonderful humanist he is. Yeah. He made uh, the Ugh. comments to journalists as he was flying back to Rome from Ireland. But the Vatican actually removed the phrase that he used from its official account saying that he didn't mean to suggest that homosexuality was a mental illness, that parents should be taking their child to um, a psychiatrist to see if anything could be done about that. Right. That he didn't mean to say what he said. <laughs> um, he was asked by a journalist what he would say to parents who observe homosexual traits in their children. Quote, when it shows itself from childhood, there is a lot that can be done through psychiatry to see how things are. It is something else if it shows itself after 20 years, the scientist Pope Francis says. <laughs> yeah, goddamn. Um, and he added that ignoring a child who showed homosexual tendencies was a, quote, error of fatherhood or motherhood. So he even went so far as to say that uh, it would be poor parenting to ignore it, right? So those are candid comments. So, so Pope Francis and the Vatican and the higher, you know, the at the highest levels, they're acting just like the Donald Trump administration. When you say something stupid, like in the Helsinki, the when the transcripts come back for the journalist and for the media and for the record, they're doctored with and they're 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 toyed with. Where oh no, that's not exactly how it went down. Mm -hmm. That that's trying to rewrite history in the immediate aftermath of something happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, well, listen. Um, the, the Pope, unless you have something else. Well, just to summarize, the Pope advocating conversion therapy, not really a liberal thing to do. Yeah. Oh, but he, but he washes the feet of the poor in, in uh, coincidental. Oh, wait, the media's here? Oh, weird. <laughs> I'm such a good guy. Oh, atheists, they can get to heaven too. <laughs> Uh-oh, I got to walk it back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't care how many times he says that atheists can make it in. I don't care how many times he washes the feet of the poor. If there are thousands and thousands of children... Left in tatters emotionally, some of their lives ruined, some, some, some commit suicide because of this. If he, and I believe he did, is instrumental in the cover-up of this. We already know, he said, oh, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to say a single word about this. I'm not going to answer questions. That is, that is the response of a terrible person of a criminal enterprise, the head 
of a conspiracy to cover up these kind of crimes against humanity. And we'll we'll leave it there. All right. Um, kind of hard to lift us out of that heavy moment. <laughs> but let's do it from a voicemail from our senior incel correspondent, Timian. I'm sure he hates that. Uh, hey guys, it's your uh, it's your old pal Team Ian. Um, I just wanted to call in and thank you for the uh, the Marissa uh, Baradaran. God, I hope I pronounced that right. Interview. I thought that was one of the more important things that I've heard in a really long time. Uh, she's a very interesting lady, as you really. I, 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 in addition to talking about all the black wealth disparity and sort of raising that. Um, and going through it and giving her actually a platform to do it. Um, I, I thought it was great that you also referenced the other work about the, uh, the postal banking. So I think that's actually a very crucial policy position, one that can be, that can be acted very simply and could really materially change the lives of a lot of people. And I'm glad that you raised that as well. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it really just throws, when you speak to people like her, it really just sh- throws light on the lie that, like, IQ is what's causing income despair inequality or what's causing the wealth gap. And, uh, environment probably has very little to do with it. And we should, we shouldn't give many resources to these people because, you know, they're just, they're just, they just can't help themselves. It's just a, just a hip hop culture. It's, you know, if they just learn to not sag their pants and, and pull up their bootstraps, uh, it is very funny that those people always talk about sagging their pants and literally black people haven't sagged their pants since like 2006, but, but whatever. Um, anyway, again, I'm gonna promote the shit out of that interview. I thought it was excellent. Um, also, Brittany very, it was very nice of you to actually just read Quillette's incredibly arrogant, stupid fucking description like that. I would have done something much less mature. I would have probably said it was, you know, for the race, Quillette, for the race scientist with a graduate degree. Or, uh, you know, Quillette for, for readers who never pat sex. Um, you know, those are just workshops. <laughs> you get my point. Anyway, keep up the good work. Cheers. Well, we appreciate that we can provide a platform for you to workshop some of your comedy. Um, <laughs> you're, you're welcome for that, sir. Uh, that's at Team Ian on Twitter. And yeah, we were really happy with that episode. It was very difficult to get the scheduling down on that. Uh, it took a month. I'm serious. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, we got it done and I was very happy about it. So if you guys uh, read the book, we'd love to hear what you think about it. And we hope that when we talk about these topics that are outside of Donald Trump and politics and whatever else we're always talking about on the show, I hope that it's <laughs> useful to people, even if they come to the show just for uh, Donald Trump talk. The Trump talk, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is important, and this plays into, look, this directly plays into uh, the direction and the path that our that our government takes policy-wise. We want to identify some of the problems here. 
So you are armed as a voter to go out there and have a justification to vote for or against particular candidates. Mm -hmm. Because this is, I mean, those numbers are insane. For every $100 the, the median family has, white family, $5.06. That's a black family has. That's wow. That's insane. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be dealt with. And it has to be dealt with. Listen, when the system created a problem, really only the system can solve the problem, in my estimation. So something has to be done on a wide scale, government-supported basis to, to correct some of these wrongs. Well, we also don't want to leave the conversation for only people like um, Ian was referencing uh, on Quillette and the people who yeah. want to talk about the culture and the spending habits and things like that. We also want to make sure that people who have done their research and have looked at the historical causes um, that they also have a voice, that th there is this exchange of ideas, right? Yeah. Um, and not just this one side that is louder than the other side. So I think it's important to listen to the episode, get her book, and support her um, in the work that she's doing to counter some of those talking points. Well, because, well, one, I mean, the talking points are ridiculous. Imagine, imagine being Irish, they always say, oh, you know, Irish were this and that, and they had it really bad, too, and they've lifted themselves out of it. Well, the Irish weren't enslaved for hundreds of years in this country and then released into freedom, having no ability to read, write, or earn money. So the only choice that the Irish had were to go back into essentially slavery again, except they made a pittance. And they were allowed a, a subsistence amount of crops to feed their family while they toiled away for the same master who owned them and abused them before. So keep imagining, years later, the white Irish people, if they were to be uh, discriminated against, that they had poll taxes or their grandfather had to have been able to vote for them to vote. So they don't even have the vote when they're legally able to do so. So at every turn, there is no equal justice under the law for these white Irish people. World War II happens and they get, they join, they fight for their country. And then they come back and all the other Americans are allowed to buy homes that are have a mortgage insurance. And they're not allowed to take part in that because they can't live amongst in Levittown or Daly City here in California. So I, all I'm saying is it's not, it is absolutely not a cultural issue. It is a, the system was written to keep them down. And she does an eloquent job of proving it in the book. And for someone to say it's, oh, it's because they buy fancy cars and wear necklaces is, it's just not to be taken seriously. It's, it's so ludicrous and whether the author of that article is black or not, it's a stupid premise. So I would, again, really encourage everybody to listen to that episode and uh, buy her book if you are so motivated. And you can do so at uh, dollamore.com slash Amazon. So with that, on the other side, we'll take a couple more calls. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you. 
by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. Steve. Steve. And Andrew. Andrew. Yes, thank you very much. And I would like to say... Uh, we're recording this on Friday morning, and uh, Friday night is going to be the August hangout. So uh, for a certain level I um, of tier on Patreon, you get an invite to the monthly hangout. There's two of them. The first one will be today, Friday, August 31st at 8 p.m. Pacific time. And the second one will be Saturday morning, September 1st. Okay, but we're still calling it the August hangout. <laughs> And that's going to be at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So if you are in that tier, look for the message at that time. And we look forward to seeing your face. That is right. Well, we do it through Zoom. So we send out a link like right when we're ready. So Mm -hmm. you got to be and you can join later. Like if you if you show up 15 minutes after we're still in there, you just click the link and join the call. It's a good time. We we we've developed some relationships in there a lot of times it's just bullshit and sometimes it gets a little heavy with with uh politics or whatever but uh it is absolutely a good time and we we encourage you to to join the patreon family to take part in uh those one-on-ones or you know however many all right well let's let's get back into this and I, there is another point i want to make about this this uh, marissa baradaron uh interview and it is that we're still dealing with race issues in this country. You know, for all of the talk of being a post-racial society after Barack Obama was elected, that, that's just not that's just not the case. And I think everybody knows that now. With you know, with if with John McCain has to say in his final written statement to the United States that we're not a nation of blood and soil, that kind of indicates that we're not over stuff yet. When we have a president now who says that there are very fine people within a group of Nazis who marched where Heather Heyer was killed, we're not over it yet. When he makes a massive deal about immigration and that that is our root cause of the problems in the United States, separating families, children, ripping them away, there's still hundreds of families who have been separated maybe permanently from their children. For the, their only crime is entering the United States without authorization. Some of them are refugees who aren't criminal at all, who didn't come here illegally. They came to, to claim asylum, to be granted asylum. And this immigration thing is also stoking the hatred of racists right now. Molly Tibbetts, the college student who was killed in Iowa by a possibly illegal immigrant, it's it's been reported that he he was and now maybe not and maybe now again, you know, it's up I, in the I air. believe his lawyer was saying that he That's right. he was in the country legally. But now in the wake of her death and in the wake of her family writing multiple statements about stop this hatred. We're all human beings. Yeah, her father even gave a statement and specifically addressed the Hispanic community in Iowa and said that they are Americans just like everybody else, but with better food. Yeah, you know, right, try, right. trying to get people to see, 
hey, those of you that are using this talking point, using my child who was killed in your argument about immigration, I'm not I'm not a part of that. Leave yeah. me out of it. Yeah. You know, don't don't use my daughter as, as a as a um, a pawn. Yeah. In that game. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, a white supremacist group, unfortunately, out of Idaho is now doing a robocall inside of Iowa using Molly Tibbetts to fuel hatred and calls to violence against immigrants. ...is filled with hate messages. The Aztec hybrids, known as mestizos, are low IQ, bottom-feeding savages, and is why the countries they infest are crime-ridden failures. That's the anti-Semitic message spreading throughout central Iowa. We don't have to kill them all, but we do have to deport them all. The voice recording blames all Mexicans for the death of Molly Tibbetts. Rid of them now, every last one. The call goes on for about a minute and a half and says it's paid for by a white supremacist group. They go as far as using a girl's voice to say Molly Tibbetts would have wanted all Mexicans dead. After her life has now been brutally stolen from her, she could be brought back to life for just one moment and asked, what do you think now? Molly Tibbetts would say, kill them all. Now, I, I couldn't find the audio of the full minute and a half. That's the that's the, the 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 most of the call that I could find to play, but one it's laughably produced. I mean, it's oh, I thought it sounded great. It's just it's so <laughs> they're so stupid. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think it sounded great. When, by the way, I think everybody knows. Okay, when, when you get past the the hilarity of the poor production value here and the overwrought weird movie announcer voice. You're struck by the language that we don't have to kill them all, mm -hmm. but we must deport them all. Those who remain after we kill who we need to kill, we're going to deport the rest. I mean, that's that's what I'm taking away from that. It's terrifying. And then using a female's voice, this is what Molly Tibbetts would have said. Kill them all. I mean, what? And this again, this is out of Idaho. These are... This is, you know, people in our home state who are using an Iowa phone number to mask their location, but it's been revealed that they are, they're Idaho white supremacists, which I thought had been stamped out a long time ago, but apparently oh. uh, it is uh, back on and in, in, in full force. Well, I mean, you just shut down the Aryan Nations compound, but that doesn't mean that everyone who was in Idaho attending Aryan Nations goes away yeah yeah <laughs> so look, unfortunately it, it's not even um these offshoot random groups like this though it's it's uh ron DeSantis, who dur during an interview the day after the primary he won the primary for the the gubernatorial race in florida he says that if you elect andrew gillum who's a black man the democratic nominee for the, the 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 governor race, that it's going to monkey up the state. Now some are, are going to say that oh he was talking about the policies and, but let's come on. You're either so stupid and don't understand what it's going to be like to represent the people of Florida, who include many tens of thousands of Black Americans, that it's not okay to use the word monkey in relationship. To a black man. 
I mean, that's... So you're either so careless... Oh, no, he knows what he's or doing. Or you're a racist. I, I, I'm going to go with the latter. He knows what he's Either doing. way, you're not qualified. Uh, it's very troubling. And we got a call on the Andrew Gillum nomination. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. It's Gene from Florida. You know, I'm really excited about Andrew Gillum winning. You know, it really brings hope back to the state of Florida that, you know, maybe things can change. We'll have a government that actually cares about its people instead of big business. A government that cares about the environment, which is being destroyed here. You know, I'm sh- I know it's, it's it's hard to explain how happy I am because I I didn't expect it to happen. I voted for him, hoping it would happen, but you know I never really expected it to happen. And the fact that it did, you know, shows me that maybe this state isn't gone yet. You know, yes, we still have to get you know through you know November, but. Honestly, you know, things are looking up, and I'm really happy about that. Well, I just wanted to give my two cents about this. Uh, you know, have a great day, guys. Bye. Uh, thank you, sir. You also have a good day. Um, yeah, I was listening to, I think, an episode of The Daily, and they went into detail about Andrew Gillum's background, and he just seems like an awesome guy. Uh, I was very impressed with everything I heard. And I think he's going to do well because of that whole fiasco with the monkey it up situation. Yeah, it's certainly part of it. Yeah. Why he's going to do. I mean, he raised a million dollars that day. In yeah. In one single day. Yeah. That's uh, record breaking. Yeah. Because I think people want to show, uh, number one, that's not acceptable. And we are going to support the person who's going to fight against that. Right. Um for him to say that he didn't mean it like that and for people to defend him and say he didn't mean it like that. I mean, how many times do we have to hear that as a defense? Yeah. I didn't mean it like that. Well, it seems to me that every, every person I've seen online in comments, wherever, defend this and say, oh, no, he meant blah, blah, blah. Those are people that I've never seen admit to when something racist was accused. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, what is the bar for them? Yeah. It's a, so their opinion doesn't really matter because they've never acknowledged something being uh, racist or white supremacist in nature. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, no, that's just, you know, whether it be the cop in Georgia who said, oh, we only kill black people. Oh, no, that was just a joke, y'all. That was just a joke. Yeah. Those same people, they believe, oh, yeah, he was just joking. Mm-hmm. No, nothing for them is going to rise to the level of being called racist. Right. And how many other uh, phrases could you use other than monkey it up? Right. And I understand, oh, he's live on TV. Oh, he's just talking. Haven't you ever made a mistake? This guy is... He's a congressman. Yeah, he's seasoned. He should know better. He's used to doing interviews. He's running for governor. Yeah. Um, In Florida... Okay. Yeah, he's not running for governor of Iowa. Yeah, he 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 knows better. And it's just strange that everyone is so quick to say that he doesn't know better and defend him. 
he knows what he was saying. It, it, he knows where, what he's trying to appeal to, the types of people that would find that funny, the types of people that say, oh, yeah, we, we hear you. That's right. We, we know what you're getting at, and that's we hear exactly you. exactly right. And that's what he was trying to do, is speak to those people. He watched Trump and the success that Trump had by not disavowing David Duke. Well, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about this David Duke or this KKK. I, you know, oh, I, I'll be happy to. Oh. He knows. He's yeah. a, he's a he's a Trump clone. This guy. Well, and how many staffers in the White House have to have connections to white nationalist organizations? Yeah. Before we start to say, huh? All these people that keep saying these like vaguely racist, if people want to make that argument, um, or flat out racist, depending on what your opinion is, comments uh, and have these ties to white nationalist organizations. How many people need to come out? How many times do things need to be said before people are like, oh, yeah, there's something going on here? Well, look at it this way. And I've got a clip to play from last week when a speechwriter for Donald Trump had to be had to leave the White House because his ties to these organizations uh, were made public. And then again, just this week, just days ago, it happened again in the Department of Homeland Security. But look at it this way. How many times in Democratic circles or administrations have white supremacists, white nationalists had to leave the administration because they were outed. That should resonate with people because it matters Mm -hmm. that the philosophy, whether you agree fully, I don't with the democratic party and the platform thereof, you're not seeing white supremacists being driven out of their positions in droves because they get found out. Here is the Trump speechwriter that I was just talking about. Welcome back. A speechwriter for President Trump who attended a 2016 white nationalist conference has left the White House. Darren Beatty confirmed to CNN that he spoke at the 2016 H.L. Mencken Club conference. That event is regularly attended by well-known white nationalists such as uh, Richard Spencer, as you see here. Well, Beatty says his speech there was not objectionable. The White House has confirmed his departure, though. Joining me right now, CNN K-File senior editor Andrew Kaczynski. So I understand the White House, um, as you tried to confirm this story or his participation, the White House also tried to discourage you from reporting on the story? Well, what happened is uh, I reached out to the White House um, early last week asking, um, you know, with, with the evidence we had that he had spoken at this conference, he was listed uh, on a schedule for it. Uh, a recap of it sort of alluded to him speaking. And I reached out to them. I asked about it. Um, they said they needed a couple of days to look into it. Um, on Thursday, they told me they would get me something on Friday. And then sort of all through Friday, it was me playing phone tag with the White House uh, deputy communications director, me calling him. He'll saying, you call me right back. Um, and they really delayed this sort of until almost like 6.30 on Friday when they told me that he had uh, left the White House. Hmm. So, so what do we know uh, to be in the content of what he said mm-hmm. at the conference. So we don't know the content of uh, his exact speech. The title of it was The Right uh, and, and Intelligentsia. Now, there are some clips um, on the web 
from which we can gleam uh, a little into uh, Mr. Uh, Beatty's worldview. He was previously a Duke visiting instructor uh, when he spoke at the conference and uh, before he joined the White House. Now, what we were able to see is that he said he supported Trump from uh, very early on, uh, from the beginning, and he said it was because he agreed with his uh, positions on immigration. And is he no longer at the White House because... Uh, you reached out to the White House asking, asking about his participation, or is there some other reason why he's no longer at the White House? So it's interesting. When I reached out, um, the White House, when they finally got back to me very late on Friday, said, uh, we don't comment on personnel matters, but he no longer works here. Um, I was asked, you know, when did he leave? And they again would say, we're not going to comment on a personnel matter, which... As you know, we at CNN know they talk about personnel matters all the time. Um, so uh, what we were able to see, however, is that his White House email, uh, which was active all of last week, you know, when I was reaching out to him for comment, um, was no longer active on Saturday. Mm-hmm. All right, Andrew Kaczynski, thanks so much. Notice, though, he was a visiting instructor at Duke. I wonder if, it, and I don't, don't know, I'll look into this, but if it was at the same time that Stephen Miller was at Duke, Hmm. which is also the same time that Richard Spencer was at Duke. Mm -hmm. Little, I'm going to look into it and see. Mm -hmm. So he's not the only one, though. Um, Ian M. Smith, a Department of Homeland Security analyst, he resigned this week after he was confronted about his ties to white nationalist groups. And he attended multiple immigration policy meetings at the White House. Wow. Um, He quit his job on Tuesday after being questioned about personal emails he sent and received between 2014 and 2016 before he joined the Trump administration. Uh, Atlantic, the Atlantic obtained the messages and detailed them in a report. And he's basically just engaging in friendly, casual conversations with prominent white supremacists and racists huh. and planning to hang out with them. In one email... Super cool guy. Yeah. In one email from 2015. So this isn't like, you know, a different time in his life when he was a, a kid or something and didn't yeah, yeah, know yeah, better. Yeah. This was three years ago. Yeah. Uh, While t- Donald Trump was running for president. Right. He responded to a group dinner invitation and the host said that his home would be Judenfrei. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's a German word used by the Nazis during World War II to describe territory that had been cleansed of Jews during the Holocaust. So Ian Smith, the Department of Homeland Security analyst, was invited to dinner and told this is going to be essentially a Jew-free dinner. That's what he was told. And he's attending high-level immigration meetings within the White House. Right. And he responded to that email saying they don't call it Freitag for nothing, which is the German word for Friday. So they love they love to use German words. Yeah, yeah. In, in with their English, um, I wonder why. That's weird. And then he said he was planning to hit a bar during dinner hours and talk to uh, someone who was involved with the neo-Nazi traditionalist worker party. So he's like in with these people mm-hmm. and communicating with these people, having dinner, hanging out, going to bars, and he was in the De- Department of Homeland Security. How many more? The Trump Republican administration. Again, it's not happening during Obama's administration. It's not happening during Clinton's administration. It's not happening during Carter's administration. And this is just two people in the last two weeks. Right. Well, look at the attorney general. Who might not have virulent white supremacist ideas, outspoken 
But Stephen Miller certainly does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve Bannon certainly did. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising. It just, <laughs> it also doesn't even register on the news. Yeah. Because there's so much. There's so much. But in, in a normal administration, this would be big news. This might end someone. I mean, this is a big deal. They'd have to really run around circles to to, to cover this up or yeah. to, to clean it up. But yeah. there's no need in the Trump administration. Everybody knows. No one cares. Mm-hmm. One last voicemail. Um, we have talked in the past a lot about Me Too and specifically about Louis C.K. And he just recently did a set at the Comedy Cellar, a surprise, unannounced 15-minute set. Um, and it caused some waves, and we got a voicemail about it. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. It's Emma from Minnesota. And I wanted to ask you guys about what you think in regards to Louis C.K. doing his first comedy show uh, in a long time. I know you both uh, are fans of Louis C.K.'s work and were really upset when he got caught up in the Me Too movement. So I wanted to know what you think about him trying to make a comeback. Uh, Me personally, I think that it's too soon. I think it's not a good strategy for him to kind of wander back on stage and say, hey, uh, wasn't that funny? That whole uh, break I had to take because I ruined uh, women's careers and scarred them for life. Wasn't that funny? I don't think that that's appropriate or a good strategy. And I don't know what the people who are indulging that strategy are thinking. I'm not saying he has to be punished forever and pushed to the edges of society. I'm also not saying don't do that. I just don't know. But I think that this strategy definitely doesn't feel like the right one. I saw a comedian do a thread on Twitter where he said this is a not a punishment for fitting the crime exactly. It's a workplace safety issue. And people who are obviously a threat shouldn't be allowed to do work. So I think that that's a fair point, but I wanted to hear what you guys think about it. Anyway, love the show. Brittany's the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. So it's definitely too soon. And we have talked about being fans of Louis C.K. And we have talked about wanting to see him come back. But we, I think, um, and me, I'll just speak for myself, that I wanted to see that happen much differently than it has occurred here. Mm-hmm. In fact, the more that I think about how this is going down, uh, I the more angry I become. Um, I think that what I had envisioned, and I don't know the amount of time that I envisioned. I don't. I don't know. I. I, I have no idea. But I thought because he's so intelligent and his comedy has all these fantastic insights about society and psychology, that he would do something meaningful 
uh, about why it is he did what he did and maybe what happened to him and what it was about society that made him feel as though he could do the things that he did and what he's learned, what he's done to uh, learn from women about what they go through, what he's done to try to work on that part of himself that allowed him to take advantage of his power. Like, I wanted to hear some commentary about what has been going on and what he was thinking and all of that. That's what I want to hear. And instead, he comes and he does 15 minutes at the Comedy Cellar and does a joke about rape whistles. Yeah. And listen. Like, really? You can't say he doesn't know either. It's, again, one of the kind of a Ron DeSantis situation. Louis C.K. is a super intelligent guy, an emotionally intelligent guy. He is. Mm-hmm. You, you you don't write the comedy and do the specials he does um, being a dumb guy who doesn't really get it. Right. Even if you read his apology, his statement after this all broke, it was very, very well written from a guy who's a writer who gets it, who knows how to tug on people's emotions and score points with people relative to empathy. He mm-hmm. knows. Yeah, yeah. So he knows going in and doing a rape whistle joke is, he knows how that's going to land. Yeah, so and this so is like kind, peak it's, narcissism. It's kind of like, fuck you. Yeah. To America. Fuck you to my critics. Because all he did was release his statement. He hasn't done an interview. No. There's been no atonement of, hey, we, we want to ask you some questions. He's faced no scrutiny whatsoever right um from the public mm-hmm. it's it's all been on his terms he wrote the statement released it from a publicist and then he's been in a timeout for less than a year mm-hmm. not enough no and he's doing it super poorly mm-hmm. well of course there's men that have come out to support him of course. Uh, various male comedians michael ian black uh, said he was happy about it. Uh, Michael Che came out and said he was happy about it. So there have been some comedians coming out. I haven't seen any female comedians comment on it, probably because of the power that Louis C.K. still has sure. in the community and their fear of commenting on it at all, uh, getting too close to it, and then the ramifications of that. Um, so that says a lot right there, too, that you're not seeing a lot of female comedians come out and say anything about it. Because of the power that he has. You're right. Still. Yeah, it, it's... Listen, it is one of those deals. I've listened to people talk about it, and they're like, well, well um, are there rules? He has to follow the, the a certain timeline? No. No, he can do what he wants. But he's going to be... He'll lose me. I, I'm not going to support his work if he doesn't do this the right way. And I don't think I'm unique. I don't think I'm alone. I think there are millions of people just like me who have in the past gone to his website and and supported him by buying his work mm-hmm. directly from him. Right. I, I mean, we were fans. I've when he would email things out, right? I would I would go immediately and buy Horace and Pete, mm-hmm. buy his specials, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Unless he does this the right way and and actually acts like he cares and gives a shit about those people he absolutely did harm, mm-hmm. then uh, he will forever be isolated and, and uh, ostracized by well, me. Well, even that movie that he... Because this all happened when he was getting ready to release that movie, I Love You, Daddy, which is basically um, an admission of guilt about what he's been doing. Yeah. 
Um, and I have a lot of questions about that too. Like I want to see him sit down with someone and I want to see him answer these questions. Like, why did you make this movie about a powerful man who does this with young women um, who's inappropriate? And, you know, what What were you trying to do with that? What yeah. was the message? Are, are you trying to get one over on everybody? Like, haha, I'm actually like this. Now watch a movie about it while I'm doing things behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, I like I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Listen, he lives a public life. It's not like... Uh... He's a mechanic at the local shop and I got to earn a living. He chose this this profession that hinges upon the approval of the public. So for for critics who say that it's not our job to decide, you know what? It is our job to decide, not as podcaster Jesse Dollimore, not as podcaster Brittany Page, not as public figures, but as individuals. Right who have money to spend mm-hmm. in the marketplace of ideas. Consumers. And uh, we choose where that money goes. Mm-hmm. So I I hope that he does the right thing here. Um, maybe this was just a one-off mistake. Trial balloon. He's floating out there to see what the reaction would be. Um, but he definitely needs to do it a different way. All right. Well, we thank everybody for your calls and emails this episode. This really just turned into a listener communication episode, and that's okay. We have one more thing to leave you with before before we go. It's the asshole of today. So Alex Jones, <laughs> who has appeared in this segment before. Alex Jones. He was recently in the news because he showed his phone on on the show. They, they did like an a episode top, of Infowars. Yeah, they did like a top-down shot of his phone. Mm-hmm. And it was turned to the side. And it it switched to the, the mode where it shows all your tabs that are open in Safari. Yeah. And one of the tabs that was open was apparently um, a porn website and he was on some sort of transgender porn video yeah that's right and alex jones not friendly to the transgender community no and so people i think it's safe to say he's an enemy he's a he's an opponent yes and so people thought this was very interesting that he had this tab open and was watching porn from a community that he hates and advocates oppressing right so he was asked about this on a recent show a caller called in and asked him directly about hey what's going on with that tab that was open on your phone and he goes into a pretty hilarious explanation um and also um what about the trans porn on your phone alex are you ever going to talk about that say that again (laughs) trans porn on your phone hey what that's all they keep talking about you know, I saw a couple like, news articles about that. It's ridiculous. I was like looking up some reporter we're trying to hire today <laughs> and punched in some number and it popped up porn on my phone. Everybody's mm. had porn pop up on their phones hundreds of times. So I'm sitting there with a phone on air <laughs> showing it to everybody because I couldn't get a URL up in the studio. And then like something pops up I'm like, oh, my God. And, it, and I looked at it. it wasn't the news blurted out because there was nothing there. They blurred it to then say something was there. Then you went to it. it was some porn menu. I probably had porn menus pop up 500 times on my phone. <laughs> wow. So I appreciate your call. I mean, it's insane, ladies and gentlemen. There's two types of people, people that look at porn and people that lie about it. 
but I wasn't looking at porn uh, on my phone. I don't take phones on there that I look at porn on. Uh, and so I saw all that. I didn't respond to it. I mean, if I respond to half the attacks on me, it'll oh, but then it's ridiculous. But I'll say this. The Amazon ads, the Viagra ads, the weird non-plastic bag ads are taking my iPhone over. iPhones didn't used to be that bad like Androids. It's and then he goes on and just seriously, it's it's one of those deals where someone's <laughs> lying and trying to cover up a lie. But rather than just say, yeah, no, no, that didn't happen. It's like they give, oh, I was looking up this night, I punched in a number because we're trying to hire a reporter. And then, you know, all this stuff happened. And, uh, 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 yeah. Uh. yeah. And then, of course, the classic. There's two types of people, people that look at porn and people that lie about it. But I wasn't looking at porn <laughs> on my phone. How great is that? It's just the greatest thing. There's two kinds of people. People who look at porn on their phones and people who lie about it. But I wasn't looking at porn on the phone, <laughs> you know? Uh, and also, let me say this. I have had an iPhone since the very first iPhone. Mm -hmm. I have never had porn pop, pop up. up on my phone unless I typed in an address and went to said pornography. Right. It never has a pop-up happened on my iPhone that contained porn. Wait a minute. Like porn menus aren't just popping up all the time just on randomly, your phone? Yeah. 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 Like a menu that you can select <laughs> any kind of porn you want. Porn's probably popped up 500 times. Yeah. For, for me. For everybody. <laughs> everybody knows. Why are I, you asking me? I'm in my kid's daycare app and porn's just <laughs> popping up all over the place. That's like a blend of Hulk Hogan and Alex Jones. It's not quite Alex Jones completely, although there's hints of it. Gay I frogs, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, listen, asshole today. Yeah. Good times. Mm -hmm. We're going to leave you there. We love you guys. We'd love to hear from you, too. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would love your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. But we would also appreciate if you were to join our Patreon family and help support the show, help produce the show, and help us move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode -episode basis through our numbered episodes that are twice and three times a week, but also the bonus episodes, which we are lining up one after the other and planning some good stuff coming up that's both Trump-related and also non-Trump. Related. Oh. If you have a guest that you'd like uh, us to talk to, why don't you hit them up on the Twitter or wherever it would be a good place and see if they'd like to come on the show. <laughs> yeah, be our agents. Yeah, we, we like that. That <laughs> takes the, the load off of us. Our booking agents. We appreciate it. <laughs> so anyway, happy Labor Day, everybody. We're not going to be back on Monday. We will. It'll likely be a short week next week because of the holiday. Uh, but we appreciate you guys. Yes. Thanks for joining us uh, this episode and every episode. And uh, we'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore. This has been I Doubt It. Well, thanks, Kelly. Uh, get caught up. Or don't call back. <laughs> <laughs>